there are thousands and thousands of employees that you can engage who are right there on the front lines seeing guests and customers every single day. What's in it for the employee if those uh, folks start to really engage and use the app? If you can really show that the incentives are actually really well aligned, and it actually frees them up and gives them more time to do something of higher value and offer, in our case, greater care to guests when they're in the hotels. Like that, that's something that's really compelling. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. I'm Mada, and I'm the host for How I Grew This. Hi, everyone. We are so happy to have our next guest, Ben Weiss. He's currently the Director of Digital Product Management at Hyatt. Before this, and how I got to know Ben, he was actually the Director of Product Management at Walgreens. We're really happy to have you here, Ben. Thank you so much for joining, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a crazy time in the world. Tell us... How have you been? We would love to hear how you've been adapting to all of this, both personally and professionally. Yeah, well, (laughs) definitely a strange year in many ways. Um, Personally, you know, I'm doing surprisingly well. Um, I have a two-year-old at home that, you know, doesn't really understand why, you know, uh, my wife and I have to work, of course, during the the days. So we've we've actually been living with uh, my in-laws since really March. And then uh, they've been wonderful. You know, we're eternally grateful to have them on board and helping us uh, with everything. Um, so we're doing a little bit of the multi-generational household thing, which is new to us, um, but but doing really well. Mm. Um, you know, professionally, I think, um, you know, I've always been more of an in-the-office person. Um, so 100% remote, that's been a bit of a transition. Um, and I, I used to always think that, you know, being in-person, face-to-face at the office, that, you know, that was more productive. But I'm a little bit of a convert. I think I've figured out that it's it's a skill that you develop um, like anything in life, right? But, you know, certain things are harder, you know, creating that office culture and maintaining it is definitely harder. But um, I've seen, you know, my team do some really incredible things on, you know, with Slack and Zoom and all these great tools. Um, that's really inspiring. So uh, it's been working out pretty well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you were mentioning earlier that you're actually sheltering from Cape Cod, which I imagine can be too bad. Yeah, no, if, if there's one place to be, this, this is definitely it. Um, you know, it's a little bit quieter, slower, slower pace of life, um, but uh, great to be able to enjoy uh, the weather out here and uh, be with the family. I went to San Diego last week and I was there for two weeks, sheltering in a house with a few friends. It was definitely uh, very interesting and a much slower pace of life. So I definitely enjoy that. And it's interesting that a lot of people are not in the places they usually are and they're taking advantage of this to have more flexibility. And I, there's part of me that wonders if culture, work culture would ever be back to where it was. I can't imagine that. I can I think there was going to be so much more flexibility and people working from home a lot more. And Yeah, for, you know, folks with families, it, it absolutely is something that it's very much kind of needed in, you know, the current work uh, culture. So if that's something that comes out of this, um, hopefully that's a net positive. You are at Hyatt. When did you join the Hyatt team? So I joined uh, October of 2019. Uh, so I've been with the company for less than a year now, but it's been a very eventful one, that's for sure. Yeah, tell us a little bit about how your you know job has evolved you're you're in charge of mobile right all the mobile experience and i can imagine that hotels have been impacted by this quite a lot 
you know, there's probably a lot of things where people want to see less people, do a lot more things from their mobile app. Tell us a little bit about the things you've noticed, how your job has evolved due to everything happening in the world right now. Sure. Yeah, no. And when I first started, you know, the focus was very much on uh, just mobile. You know, we're getting the teams organized and settled into more of a lean, agile, you know, way of working, really, you know, modernizing the way that we were operating. Um, we did that pretty successfully. And then, like, right as we were about to, you know, kind of pull all steam ahead, um, that's that's really when COVID hit. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we were kind of right in many ways, right at the epicenter of this, along with airlines and many others who have been really severely impacted. So, um, you know, uh, the company, you know, is smaller than when I joined in, in many ways. And, you know, we had to sort of readjust, um, reorganize our teams, you know, uh, a whole second time to really, you know, figure out how we were going to operate moving forward. But at the same time, we were, we were, as all this was happening and, you know, the world kind of felt like it was in, you know, a lot of state of chaos here, we were realizing that digital was really the answer in a lot of ways to some of the problems that we were facing. And we knew that digital adoption in many ways was the accelerated curve of things was really taking off because everybody is being forced to learn to do things digitally uh, in order to socially distance. And that was going to impact hotels too and the experience that we put our guests through. Um, so, you know, we really want to make that a really positive experience. And we want to build, you know, that confidence that people have that they can stay with us and they're going to have a really safe, you know, journey. So things like digital check-in, you know, were important, but now they're extremely important, if not critical uh, to that journey. So we've really reprioritized a lot of our roadmap to take advantage of all those things that really add a bit of, you know, social distancing to the experience. But then also, you know, do the things that we really had envisioned from the start, which is how do you let digital, like, enhance the experience, give people, you know, more personalized, tailored, you know, give them more control throughout the guest journey. And that's that's something my team is very much focused on now. And we really think about not just the app, but we think about what is the in-stay journey um, that people are going to expect uh, on property and how do we make that really rich and memorable. So how do you guys do that? Yeah, so um, we are, are in the process of rolling out a new enhanced uh, check-in, as we call it, because it really, you know, goes totally above and beyond what we had done traditionally. Uh, we have this now running uh, in the Asia-Pacific region, and we're rolling out uh, into the uh, European markets and Americas here in the coming weeks. And, you know, it, it, there, there's a lot going on here. I could probably spend an hour talking about just this <laughs> one. But, you know, just to give you a flavor of, you know, what the kinds of things yeah. going on, you know, first, we show you the room that you basically uh, you're assigned to. So, and then we show you, you know, the room attributes for that room and how they align to your guest preferences. Do you like to be away from the elevator and on a high floor? We're going to reflect that the room that you've been assigned to has those characteristics and those attributes. Um, so there's this element of personalization in there. And then if you are an elite member, if you're a globalist within the world of Hyatt program, for example, you get even more control over the experience because, you know, the suite that you've been assigned to, for example, as a free upgrade, it may not be ready until 3 p.m. But if you're just coming in off of a red-eye flight, and you really want to just take a nap, you know, first thing in the morning, that's your biggest priority. We actually allow you to choose, you know, a slightly lesser room that you can check into right away because the room is available and clean and inspected and ready to go. That's cool. So I would those types that. of moments are, you know, the types of things we want to be able to deliver. It's things that, you know, you might traditionally be able to do, of course, at the front desk, but with fewer people wanting to wait in line and crowd around the lobby, we need to be able to offer those kinds of experiences digitally as well. So did you notice anything different um and how users behave during this. I remember being at a round table who someone who I think was from Choice Hotels and they were mentioning that they've just really started to understand that their customer is actually 
people who do, who you know, like truckers and people like the, the service industry. And I really didn't quite understand that until this time. Is there something for you guys where you've realized that maybe your customers are behaving differently or any, any interesting insights from this from this? Yeah, I mean, everybody is much more conscientious of like, you know, um, just being in an environment that is absolutely clean. You know, they kind of, you know, they always assumed it was. And, you know, we take great pride and great care in making sure that all of our spaces are clean. Um, You know, but now we want to make sure that people see it actively being cleaned. It used to be, Mm. you know, that that was done overnight or intentionally when there were fewer people around. And you kind of have to change some of that now to make it much more front and center in the experience because it's important to people. So that's been one for sure. But our research has also shown that people are just thinking a lot more about digital um, in order to solve problems because, you know, while they would have had a behavior in the past that they would have done because they've been going to, you know, hotels for much of their adult lives, now they're, you know, they're considering new alternative ways. So thinking about how do I unlock my room with my phone was something that just, you know, they might have heard about it before. Yeah. And, you know, they needed something to push them over. They needed to hit, we kind of needed a tipping point in a lot of ways. So, you know, yeah. the moment we're living through in a lot of ways is, is starting to, you know, force people to think a little bit differently. So let's talk about your career. How did you get into mobile? I know about your previous job and that's how I first heard of you. But even before that, to go back, I was looking through our LinkedIn and there were some interesting things there. And uh, tell us a little bit about that, the beginning of your journey. Sure. I mean, I've always been passionate about just digital, uh, you know, creating digital things in a lot of ways. I mean, it goes literally back to, you know, my time in high school. One of my best friends and I started a, uh, started a business. Um, we grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, essentially, it was just functioning as like a almost like a, an ad agency in many ways yeah. for small businesses. Oh, you were in high school. I saw that on your LinkedIn. I did not yeah. realize you were in high school. That's pretty that, impressive. Yeah, I mean, we, we were very interested because we saw that there was, you know, the, the technology was progressing in a way that, you know, we could actually create, you know, things of quality and high, really high quality at a pretty inexpensive price. I mean, nothing like what you can do today, of course. But, um, you know, and very quickly, we kind of, you know, hopped out there and we figured, okay, well, we we talked ourselves or, or our way into uh, jobs at the local uh, CBS television station, uh, KCCI TV in Des Moines, Iowa, <laughs> uh, where, you know, we got exposure to much more professional level equipment um, and, you know, and practices and learned from everybody around us. And, you know, I, this is also around when, you know, very early days when it seemed like, you know, mobile was going to become a thing. And in college, that was something I actually, you know, um, kind of worked well, worked with um, some professors as like an independent study to really, you know, immerse myself in this as it was becoming, you know, a thing. These were all pre-iPhone in a lot of ways. You know, I, I personally was owning every single device I could because you could see the potential. You could see that there was something yeah. really magical there, but the experience had not evolved to the point that it was really mature enough to take off in a really big way. And of course, iPhone really uh, did that. Around that same time, you know, I, I interned um, at Walgreens, um, spent the first internship actually with Walgreens in a group called Market Planning and Research and focusing on geographic information systems to predict essentially what are the best corners in America where you should open a Walgreens. And that that group was way ahead of its time. I mean, doing all kinds of things that, you know, today you'd call machine learning and very, uh, you know, it was was probabilistic modeling to understand the best corners in America, which is a huge thing that that company does extremely well. And it was an eye-opening experience for me. I learned so much in that group, um, had some great leaders there. And it it definitely encouraged me to come back and spend more time with the company. So in my second internship, which I came back that, that next summer, 
this was right, you know, right after iPhone had been announced, and it was very much, you know, top of mind for me. Um, and I encouraged the company, uh, you know, I created a presentation for a intern case study competition, <laughs> where um, I basically pitched to the company that they should invest in creating an iPhone app, create the Walgreens app. Wow! Yeah. That was, so you, that's that's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I joke. I sometimes call it like a corporate fairy tale because you know it literally started with that. It is. That, I um, mean, you were there over nine years, like yeah. from internship to director of of mobile apps. I mean, and that was your internship project. I mean, how cool! Yeah, it, it really it started there. Um, I had lunch with the CEO, who then introduced me to their first uh, chief digital officer, Sona Chala, somebody who I consider a very close mm-hmm. mentor. And, you know, it was really off to the races from there. And of course, you know, yeah, 10 years really with the company that, you know, a ton happened in there and so many great mentors um, that really, you know, uh, gave me a ton of experiences. And I had the pleasure of, you know, developing and uh, managing the team for many years and really helping to, you know, start really what is now, you know, product management was not even a discipline in a lot of ways uh, in those early years, but is very much uh, there and active at the company now. Man, that's, uh, that, that's really, really awesome. Tell us a little bit about some of the interesting, you know, campaigns that you ran. I mean, this podcast is ultimately about growth. And what are some things that you guys did that you think drove engagement, new user growth for Walgreens, specifically using mobile? It's hard to pick just one, but going kind of back to those beginning and really early years was a capability um, called Refill by Scan. Um, and the idea of that was really just using the smartphone camera to refill a prescription. You know, that was that was pretty radical at the time. Uh, people had been using their phones to refill, but it was all via an IVR interface where you had to, you know, look at a bottle, type in a very small code and not fat finger it into the phone. Using the phone to just scan the barcode bottle or the, the barcode on the bottle um, you know, that, that, was, that was a big deal for people. And it really showed them the value of an app and really what mobile can do, which is, you know, help solve old problems in new ways, um, in better ways. So, yeah, that was a huge one that really gave people a reason to uh, think uh, of installing. And then over time, you know, we continued to layer in a whole lot of services and other capabilities that really just made for a rich retail app experience. And how do you promote, and I think this, this question can, it goes for Hyatt, and for Walgreens and for others, um, how do you promote adoption of your app? What are some things that you've done uh, and you're doing now that you think go a long way in getting people to download and use the mobile app? I think, you know, especially with within Hyatt, we're really thinking about how does the app serve the guest at meaningful points in the journey, starting right with check-in, which we talked about a little bit. Having those things, especially early in the journey, are really, really important. Giving you know somebody a better way to do something, solving their problems, it, 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 these are the best ways to get people to use the product. I mean, you you obviously want to you know you talk about it and you want to make sure that there's broad awareness, but really focusing on you know a guest or a user problem is really you know front and center to making sure that it's going to actually be useful because the product is really what matters um, you know in so many ways. It makes sense. Like, I totally understand that. I think the, my question is, you know, for example, I haven't, I didn't know some of the things that you could do with the Walgreens app, and I'm a big Walgreens customer. And I recently stayed at the Hyatt Hotel and I didn't use the app. So I guess the question, and I know this is a hard question, but how do you even educate the people that the things like that feature is something that they can do with the app? And I think that's something that probably 
many other retailers and brands are, are struggling with. So I don't know the right the right answer. I'm just kind of curious. No, absolutely. You know, in, in my time at Walgreens, some of the most impactful stuff we did there was, um, quite honestly, you know, it wasn't just about paid ads and media, which is important, and you absolutely want to have that performance side of things. But a lot of it was just how do you engage your employees, you know, especially in the case of Walgreens, mm. um, but also very true at Hyatt. I mean, thousands and thousands of people that you can engage who are right there on the front lines seeing guests and customers yeah. every single day. You know, one of the most valuable ways and one of the key insights for us was, you know, not just empowering them with information to tell the guest or the customer. Um, that's important, but more importantly, but what's in it for them? What's in it for the employee yeah. if those uh, folks start to really engage and use the app? You know, there's always been a long-standing sort of like tense relationship sometimes with uh, digital technologies and, you know, the folks that sort of are, you know, quote unquote out in the field. But if you can really show them that this is actually a way to enrich the experience, that the incentives are actually really well aligned and it actually frees them up and gives them more time to, instead of doing the sort of the, you know, the constant, you know, repeat tasks, but they can do something of higher value and offer, in our case, greater care to guests when they're in the hotels. Like that, that's something that's really compelling and they will find ways to talk to guests and to really share that and make sure that they, uh, they know about it. So that, that's an important piece for us. That's super interesting. I, um, there's this company, this retailer in Asia, and they actually did a thing where every store got a different QR code. So then, uh, the store, they got the most app downloads, everyone got bonuses. What are your thoughts on QR code in general? I think they were not very prevalent in the states but now i'm seeing more with covid i'm seeing more and more people use them yeah no i think you're, i think you're right um for the longest time I, I used to always send people to the um there was there's a there's a wonderful little page out on tumblr i know tumblr is a little old school but um a page that's set for uh, people pictures of people scanning qr codes.tumblr.com and you go there and <laughs> it literally says no posts yet. Um, and that was kind of the story for a long time, you know, <laughs> right? Funny. People people were not scanning QR codes um, outside of, you know, Asia where you know, the payments, you know, use case was really, really strong. But I think it's starting to change. I think, you know, we just saw Apple announce um, app clip codes at, you know, their worldwide developer conference last week. So there's definitely a moment here where I think we're going to start to see more real world kind of like digital physical uh, things blending. And, you know, whether that's exactly a QR code or if it's an NFC tag or if it's a proprietary tag like the app clip code, I think we're going to see more of that start to uh, kind of enter the real world. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, any branch link has a QR code, but we've seen a lot more usage in the States recently than we ever have before. Before it was just something our APAC team talked about. Yeah. Uh, super interesting. So... The other piece of advice I was curious is really, you know, you probably out of everyone I've interviewed on this podcast, you're probably the one person that has had the longest stint with one company and you've seen a lot of growth. So usually when you talk about growth, people talk about changing careers and changing companies and moving in one direction or another. But in your case, you were able to really advance in one company. And I'm kind of curious, what are some pieces of advice around that. So for people who are working maybe for bigger brands, just started a career there, if they're looking to stay with a brand and evolve and grow, I think that can be very challenging sometimes. How have you kind of gone around it and been able to to grow so so much in your time there? It's, it's a great question. I don't know that I have any one perfect answer, but I think one of the most important things is just to have good long-term thinking. I mean, in, in any job, right? Because 
the job is is not about you. It's about the, the position in a lot of ways. And you want to make sure that the next person who's going to come fill those roles is going to be set up for success. And having good long-term thinking also makes your job easier as long as you're in that, that, that career, in that, in that you know, company. Um, it sets you up for success. I think you have to, you know, build wonderful relationships with others. I mean, that's that's really the art of product management, um, you know, in many ways, so that you can really take advantage of all the great capabilities that that company has, which only comes through positive, you know, relationships with all the people and the skill sets that that reside in that company. So. Those are definitely really important things, but also then just, you know, building a great team around you that can support you and do the things that you think are going to be really important. Um, that's something that takes a very long time, of course, and, uh, you know, it's always changing and ever changing, and that's, that's normal and natural. But, uh, yeah, I think those are three, three really important things. Those are good ones. Really cool. And then, you know, for someone, for someone looking to start a career in, in, in mobile, any advice for them how to think about you know, where to start, how to think about career growth, uh, where to look for mentors, any, any blogs, things that you actually love that you think others could learn from? Sure. I mean, you know, one, get involved um, as much as possible. Um, be really inquisitive. I think, you know, the, the, the trait I actually prize the most when I'm looking to hire folks is curiosity. Mm. Um, because curious people just naturally, they, they want to understand how everything works. And when they gain that insight over and over again in everything that they do, they become really, you know, good thinkers. They have the best ideas and they understand feasibility in ways that other people often sometimes don't. Um, so I think that's a really important skill just to, you know, kind of practice. And, you know, uh, it's something that obviously children have in spades. And as adults, we start to lose a little bit of sometimes. <laughs> um, we like to see the world. How do you interview for that? Um, you know, I, I often like to just ask them how they approached, you know, a particular problem or why they, what, what are they interested in? You know, in if they have a variety of interests and sometimes more obscure interests too, um, and if they're the way that they analyze those interests, I think is a really interesting thing. Um, you know, I, I'll give you one weird one for me. For example, um, one of my hobbies, you know, outside of work, is uh, like um, hand welted high end men's shoes, which is like the most like non techy thing ever. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait. What what does yeah. it mean? It's your hobby. You buy them, or you make them, or you follow them. What? How does the definition of a hobby? So definitely buying, but also reading and really, you know, there there's there, there's there's a whole world uh, around this that is you know very niche, of course. Oh man, that's cool. The thing that's really interesting about it, of course, is that. All the innovation that's happened in the last really century for creating shoes just more broadly has gone to creating a cheaper and lesser quality product. Um, and they're definitely innovations, but to create something of really lasting quality is still actually done in a very like kind of almost like ancient way. Um, and I know it's weird coming from somebody from software, but I, I have an appreciation for like some of these things that are older, but significantly better when it comes to like the quality, right? Um, and understanding how it's made and why it's better, I think is something really, really interesting. So speaking about how things are made and about user experience, working on mobile apps and thinking about user experience, especially with like a very different group of people. I mean, Walgreens definitely had, if you think about the, the customer ages, it's definitely very different types. And there was probably, you guys probably had a lot of baby boomers, for example. Yeah. How did you think about building a digital experience for people who are maybe not as comfortable with digital? 
in general, things don't change as much as you would think. I, I think that's the first thing that kind of surprises people. It's just that the bar is higher in many ways for, you know, those older users. Uh, you know, everyone wants an app to be seamless and easy to use. And, you know, boomers aren't any different in that regard. It's just that, you know, their tolerance is different because, you know, in general, they, they, they've been solving these problems their whole lives with other ways. They, they have these behaviors built in. Um, and so there's a higher threshold of seamlessness that's really required to convince them to change that behavior. Whereas a millennial or the younger generation, you know, as they're becoming adults, they just naturally think to look to an app because that's the only way or that they've really experienced the world. And that's how they problem solve today. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is really just the art of behavioral change, which is slow and it's difficult and sometimes, you know, can be frustrating, but, um, you just have to be better, uh, at everything, I think, to really convince that other demographic. There's probably also like this idea that you have to, there are the small little things that if they don't work, I think uh, a younger audience who's used to trying things earlier on, it's easier, like they get less frustrated. Yeah. And I, I still like the way I got to know you was that tweet, right? I think uh, it was someone from Wall Street Journal and he got so frustrated and he's like, I'm done. This idea that I can't, like they keep asking me to log in. And I think you came in and said, no, actually, this is not an industry problem. I solved this branch. We were obviously, we used those to, that tweet in like yeah, meetups. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was a, it's a small problem. But I think, as you said, because uh, to me now hearing you say it's making me think because you always try to think about how do you give the good best user experience. Yes. Like you figured that out earlier than a lot of other brands. Yeah, I think the the mobile space naturally requires that. It's it's a little bit messier. It's a little less mature <laughs> in many ways than other industries, um, and, and that just means you have to, you know, again that that curiosity. You have to really like dig deep to really understand well why is it this way and what possible solutions could we craft um, for all these different you know scenarios. So, what do you think the role of mobile is as uh, in this age of COVID? You've talked a little bit about your plans at Hyatt and and beyond that. Um, do you think this will be overall good for mobile, bad for mobile? What are your thoughts around this? You know, mobile is still young, which is, sounds crazy that, you know, we've actually, you know, passed the first decade. But when you compare that to just overall, like we'll call it personal computing, that's really had, you know, 30 to 35 years under its belt. Mobile is still young. Um, and I think, you know, we're getting to a point now and you can see it with the processing power of just the latest crop of devices. It is you know, it's going to at some point here eclipse what you can do um, on compared to the personal computer, right? Um, and because it's always on us, it's such a personal device. And because I think a lot of the software is really tailored for doing complex things in really fast and simple ways, um, it, it, that's just going to continue to magnify and multiply. And we're going to just be a lot more efficient and productive with what we can do on those devices. I've, I've actually challenged myself in the last year to try to use, you know, my personal computer a lot less and to try to do everything on mobile and figure out what are those gaps or what are those still those pain points that we haven't solved on mobile yet to make that fully possible. And um, it, it's pretty clear, you know, where, where those are sometimes, but you can see how much progress mobile has made, you know, in it's really its first 10 years. So it, it's really incredible. And I think, we have, you know, plenty more decades of exciting things to come. And I think what mobile is will probably be different, right? Everyone, I, I don't know, I, I'm very bullish on something like augmented reality, for example. And I think mobile might mean more than just your phone over the next decade. So speaking about the future, you, you self-described yourself as someone who loves thinking about what the future looks like. You know, what are some trends that you're excited about? And from uh, Hyatt's perspective, what are some things you guys want to take advantage of? 
and what are some do you think things that might be challenges? Sure. Yeah. I mean, without sharing, you know, secrets. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, I think I the you know the in-stay experience of you know being um, you know at a hotel is largely untapped in a lot of ways across the industry, and we just see this as uh, there, there being a lot of white space for us to really explore. You know, how do you um, have a digital dining experience, for example, is something that you know we're very much actively thinking about, especially now with uh, COVID really being top of mind for people. That that's a really important one. But even you know other areas where the industry has you know uh, been innovative, like you know opening the key with your or opening your door with a mobile key on your phone. We see tons of opportunities here to make, you know, even these experiences better. That one in particular, I think the the challenges is that, you know, as some things went to mobile, they actually got harder to use, which is kind of the opposite of what you would want, right? You know, if you compare the plastic key card, which takes, you know, maybe four or five seconds to pull out of your wallet and then open the door, if you do that via an app on your phone, it can sometimes take upwards of 15 seconds. And that that's not a a more desirable experience. It's actually gone the other way. So we think there's opportunities. It depends who you are. I mean, if it's me, it takes me 30 seconds to find the card that someone just <laughs> gave me. I put it somewhere and I'm like, <laughs> so, um, but, but, I, but I understand your point. Yeah, yeah. We just want to, you know, look for all those moments where we can just eliminate, you know, major points of friction for things that you do repeatedly over and over again, especially during a stay. You know, we know people's time is really valuable, whether they're traveling for business or whether they're, you know, on a leisure trip and this is their vacation or their holiday, right? They want to maximize that trip and they don't want to spend it, you know, staring too much at a user interface. They just want to solve problems and we want to be there to offer great solutions to them. So before we move to the lightning round... I think the one question I want to ask is really around, around mentorship. You've mentioned some early mentors at Walgreens. How did you convince them to be your mentors? And how do you, any advice you have for others who might be looking to advance in their career on finding mentors? You know, for mentors, I, I've never been part of a, like an official, you know, mentorship program where I had to, you know, sort of ask or assign or have that delegated. It, it, it kind of just happened naturally. And I think, you know, one of the ways it just happened is that I, I was never fearful and still to this day of just emailing, you know, uh, people with important titles and uh, and a lot of experience and just, you know, asking them, you know, important questions that I just want to learn from them. Um, I think, Everybody assumes that these people are so busy that they don't have any time. And in everybody thinking that, sometimes they actually have more time than you think. <laughs> yeah, um, I found that to often be the case. And you know, when they see you know people ask and insightful questions and really eager to learn, they're more often than not really willing to share that. And a lot of those relationships and those you know people that I consider mentors, it really stemmed and came from that. You know, it was me sharing something that I found interesting with them, uh, whether it was an article or uh, you know um, an industry event. There, I, I wrote an analysis on. Uh, a lot of things started right from there. And, you know, I, yeah, I've had so many good mentors over the years that have shared things with me that I've been able to pass on to others, too, as well. So it's it's really about, you know, uh, giving back as well. That's so true. And I think you're completely right. You know, like, I think leaders are busy. And I find myself being super busy, but it's very rare that people, you know, email me to ask for something personal. And when they do, I always jump on a call with them and... But as you're right, not that many people take initiative that the one that do the ones that do usually it's actually not that hard to get someone to talk to you, give you a meeting and stuff like that. 
Yeah, there, there's this great like onion story that I, I saw. It's it's older, but you know where they say that like eighty uh, percent of like grandfathers just walked in and asked for the job and got it or whatever. And and we do have this like vision of like that's how things used to work. And it feels in a lot of ways like the modern you know society and just corporate structures that we've created make it impossible for those things to happen. But a lot of it is just you know yeah taking initiative and sending a message and connecting with people and, and a lot can happen from that. It just it looks a little different than it might have historically. No, I, I mean, I think you're completely right. I can think of like people who send me notes saying they want a job or an internship. I wouldn't, I would say that maybe they didn't all like, got jobs, but I seriously consider them. And I looked at that resume way more than someone submitting it for a job opening, right? So I think you're completely, you're, you're, you're really correct about that. I think people sometimes just do the easy thing, which is just submitting a resume or talking to a recruiter. The hard thing is like looking up who the, who the manager is, figuring out how to write a personal email, and not everyone does that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Okay, so the lightning round, my favorite part. If you had to delete all the apps on your phone and could only keep one, what would that be? For me, that's probably Instagram. It's That is my outlet for my weird hobbies. <laughs> nice. Do you post or you just like follow others? Very little posting. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've got a really curated set of people that I follow that, you know, uh, give me that fix for, you know, whether it's uh, expensive shoes <laughs> or just uh, other strange hobbies that I have. Got it. How about if you had an app that would allow you to talk to an animal, what animal would that be? So I don't have any pets, um, but, you know, uh, through this period, I've been uh, near my sister-in-law's dog quite a bit. So maybe I'll, I'll go with that since uh, he seems to be thinking about a lot of things. <laughs> Interesting. I always thought my dog only thought about food and balls. She loves balls. People have answered very interesting things on this one. I've heard the tiger in that tiger show, uh, birds, monkeys. I would also pick my dog. So, And lastly... Tell us about an unlikely app on your phone. Um, you know, I, Roller Coaster Tycoon Classic. <laughs> what is that? It's a game? Yeah, it's a game. And, uh, you know, for people, some people, this probably evokes strong, you know, childhood memories. For me, it certainly does. It, it's a wonderful, just amazing game. And I think actually my favorite little story about it, you know, the founder, the person who actually wrote the game, wrote it entirely in assembly. Um, which is just absolutely insane to me. I wrote it in assembly. In assembly, yeah, that one guy. Painful. And you know, the, the the magic of it, of course, is that it runs beautifully on an iPhone today. And I think it might be like the first like piece of complex software to like live more than a century. So it's kind of cool. Oh my god, that is pretty cool. Uh, I'm gonna look this up. Maybe we'll have a little clip of you speaking with like how it looks like <laughs> to promote it's, it's this a, podcast. It's a great game too. And yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is one that brings back great memories from childhood. And it, it's fun to be able to replay it a little bit on, you know, on a modern iPhone. And it, it is tried and true to the original game. It, it, it's pretty incredible. I still can't believe you wrote an assembly. I honestly still have nightmares about my college classes writing assembly code. So, <laughs> um, and considering how easy it is to code today and like we've come such a long way sure. from that, I think that's so impressive. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that game always, it, it, it reminds me that, you know, everything that we create in the software world at some point, you know, just like great architecture and other great human works, right? There's going to be a nostalgia factor that sort of builds up over time. There's going to be preservation of old code, right? There's going to yeah. be like groups that form around these things because there is an art to them. And there's something really wonderful totally. in the humanity that, you know, came into actually creating that thing. Um, and it's worth preserving and saving. Great. Well, that's a, that's a really great note to end. I wonder which apps 
beyond that game will be preserved in the app museum 50 for 100 years from now i think yeah. that's going to be interesting the app hall of fame who knows <laughs> the, old, the app definitely not the app i built a while back but <laughs> I, I can think of a few well thank you so much this was awesome i feel i got some interesting advice uh learned a lot and really really appreciate your time coming on the show no, i've really enjoyed it and thanks so much for having me again on the podcast thank you so much for listening If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.